What is up, you guys, and welcome back to another edition of the podcast. My name is Ramon, and this is Dad's Podcast Project. It's been a little bit. I've been under the weather for the past few days. I think that I might be coming down with bronchitis again. It seems like every year or so, it just hits me, and this is that time. So if I sound a little bit different on today's podcast, that is the reason. But I wanted to talk about something that is a, it is a little bit of a private topic, I guess, even though I'm going to be sharing it in this podcast. But recently, our well, our daughter has been um, having having troubles with bowel movements, and the reason I'm talking about this is definitely the premise behind the entire podcast is to sort of document my my experience as a father and what it is we're going through and and to 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 continue to document these things as they happen so that if it ever arises in the future with grandchildren or whatever the case may be it's like hey we went through this too this is this is how we handled it and this is what we went through but one of the things that the doctor or the pediatrician had recommended was to have our daughter on some diuretic or some Miralax to be more specific. So she prescribed Miralax for our daughter and that pretty much did the trick right away. Helped with her bowel movements. They weren't very difficult anymore after that. However, upon inspecting our daughter, like taking a look, um, just a visual inspection, the doctor or the specialist, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, the She was scheduled for a visit with the specialist to further assess the, the issues that she was going through. So the specialist had told my wife to go ahead and up the dose. I think we were doing like maybe a spoonful of Miralax and mixing that with some formula. The specialist recommended that we decrease the amount of formula so it would be more water because she is eating more solid foods. Uh, she doesn't necessarily need the milk anymore. So she recommended decreasing the amount of formula and as well as increasing the amount of Miralax until there was a just full-on uh, watery bowel movement. So we did that. And almost immediately, it was like she she was still kind of afraid to go because, I mean, they, they were pretty painful, uh, what she was experiencing and what she had to go through. So um, now she's a much happier baby, and things seem to be to be going really great for her in that in that regard. However, when the doctor decided to take a visual inspection of our daughter. Uh, she noticed a little bit of dark uh, discoloring of her skin, like a bluish black, um, I guess, tint to her skin above her lower back, and as well as a dimple. And this kind of raised concerns that we didn't know were concerning. I thought maybe her back was like, that's just the way her back probably looked after being born or something like that. I figured it's like a newborn, it's a toddler thing. I didn't really take 
pay much attention to it. Fortunately, though, the doctor had told us that it might be it might be a sign for concern. So she ended up telling us to go ahead and stay on with the Miralax. As long as there's steady bowel movements, we should be okay. And to bring her back in for a follow-up checkup. Uh, bear in mind, our daughter is also a few months past one year old. So now is the time when she should be walking a little bit more. Um, she's standing and she's cruising and she can take a couple steps. But again, without that dialogue, she can't really tell us if maybe that she's suffering some discomfort or is there any numbness in her legs or anything like that. That might be attributed to this dimple because the doctor had mentioned that it may very well be a lower spinal tethering that has occurred. And now I don't know. I mean, I looked into it. I don't claim to be an expert on like my knowledge base is just, I'm going to give it to you just as, as plainly as possible. I mean, if you want to look into it further yourselves, or if you're going through this yourself, I, I recommend you speak with your doctors about it. Uh, do your do your research on it. I did my research, so I'm educated enough. I know what's going on. However, when it comes to, I guess, regurgitating that information um, because it's medical in nature, I can't I can't really speak it verbatim to to sound um, just good. So uh, I'll I'll do my best, uh, but. Apparently in some in some children the lower spinal cord or the 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 spinal cavity is like a hollow cavity with which a cord is sort of in just kind of hangs out in there. So the spinal cord if the lower part of the spine doesn't fully close the spinal cord is considered to be exposed and this exposed cord can then attach to via I don't know if it's like fatty tissue or or cartilage or whatever the, the exact term is, but it can tether itself to your back, like your skin or the muscles and connective tissues that, that attach to your skin, thus creating a little bit of a dimple because there's a connection there. And this can be problematic. So it's good to catch it early so that your doctors can assess and check and see what's going on in order to provide you with the best course of action. But there are different variations of it. Some more extreme variations of it are when there is a, either a, an extrusion like a, a tail or what looks like a tail or a, like an excess amount of skin that has grown. Uh, another thing is if there is a hole, so there's a hole there. I mean, you definitely want to get to your doctor ASAP. That is an opening from the outside world into your child. And with bacteria and water and all this other stuff, I mean, anything can get in there and it can just be extremely problematic. So if you happen to notice something like that, get to a doctor, Get make an appointment with your pediatrician ASAP. Get that checked out. Uh, other signs of spinal tethering are hair growth in that location as well as discoloration of the skin. Now, 
as parents, I don't expect any of you to know all of this. To, I mean, we we learn through experience. We can only do so much research. A lot of things are going to get missed, and it's just all about being observant, making those checkups for your children, regular checkups, and being sure that they have a pediatrician who does these like once overs who, who, who look at these things and stay on like some of the milestones for your children. I mean, my wife is like a hundred percent on it. Like, you know, we're not saying she should be walking, but it's about that time when she should really be trying. And I mean, she is a lot more now. However, it's like, okay, well, what's going on now? So that was one of the things, one of the the signs that caused us to to want to look further into it. Definitely the the troubles with the bowel movements were definitely not regular. And my wife was going up and down, back and forth, just looking into different types of dietary plans for her. What what could it be that she's eating, that she's drinking, that I mean, is there something more that we can do until we just exhausted about every every food type and food group we thought maybe it was a gluten intolerance maybe it was a lactose thing i mean fortunately our doctor was able to give us the answer so anyways i digress but moving on with the the story uh we go to the follow-up checkup and we're kind of telling the doctor yes bowel movements are a-okay uh here we are again still not walking still has this dimple and she kind of tells us, you know, well, we're at this crossroads now where it, the decision rests upon us as her parents to either go ahead and schedule an MRI or just wait and see what happens. And here again is where as parents, you're faced with decisions that, you know, clearly you have to make for your children the best decision on their behalf or the best decision that you feel given the information that you have. And for us, it was a very hard decision to make, but we decided to schedule an MRI. Now, if this had been caught sooner or, I mean, mean, literally like, yes, if this had been caught sooner, we would have been able to forego an MRI and do an ultrasound instead because for some reason she would have been small enough in order for the doctors to get a clear image of what exactly is going on. But because of her age, being a toddler, a little bit bigger of a baby, um, an MRI was, was what was required. Now, what makes this difficult as a parent, to, and for those of you who are parents who are listening, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm about to say, but for those of you who are not parents, what is what is very difficult about this is, um, or if you've had an MRI as well, you also know what I'm about to say is, uh, when you go into an MRI, you can't move. You have to lay there and lay still in order for the doctors to get a good image. And that's all well and fine for us as adults, young adults, teenagers even, However, for a toddler, you're not going to get them to sit still. So therein came the, I guess, the hard part about it is deciding to have our daughter uh, put under, put under anesthesia. 
So my wife had a really hard time with it, even though she mentally prepared herself as best as she could, knowing that if this was a decision that we were going to need to make for her, that this was what was going to be required of that decision. This would be a, a byproduct of that decision is that she would need to forego going under anesthesia. So prepare all you will mentally. You're still going to feel the emotions that come uh, with the reality of making that decision. So everybody's trying to be supportive and everybody's trying to be, you know, telling you statistics and whatever they've read or whatever they've experienced themselves. But, you know, when it's your child, when it's your baby, I mean, it's, it's not the same. You don't want to have them go through any of this stuff. You think to yourself, you would, you would want to take that, any, any discomfort or anything that they would have to go through. As a parent, you would easily say, I'll, I'll do it. Don't let them go through it. So it's just one of those things where she's a very little baby and my wife thinks that, you know, she's too little. She shouldn't have to go through these kind of things. And as the husband, I just have to be supportive. I mean, I can't, I can't try to say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. You can't this, that, and whatever. I mean, that's unfair. Um, Because even for myself, I, I wish that our kids wouldn't have to go through certain things, but that's not, that's not reality. I, I, I view it a little bit different, but we scheduled the appointment and I request time off of work. They said to go ahead and carve out about a half a day, half of your day uh, to be here. And we made the drive down to Santa Barbara where there was a facility that uh, did the MRI. And our son, we also didn't put him in school. We brought him with us, and he was very good while we were there. There was another child. I mean, I'm not going to bag on other parents, but this other kid was wild in the waiting room, just wild. And it was interesting. I mean, I, you know, as a, as a father myself, it's like I'm looking at the other dad, and I'm thinking, you know, I was there. It's it's going to get better. <laughs> but I remember those times when it, it – it's hard to be in public sometimes because your kids, they, they want to, they want to explore. They want to act out. They want to be wild and free. And, you know, they don't necessarily know the time and the place given, you know, this is a hospital setting or this is like a, a medical facility and it's a waiting room and it's not really a playground, but they don't know that they don't understand. So I totally, I totally get it. And, uh, you know, our son fortunately has grown from those those types of habits so it wasn't too difficult of an experience um being in the waiting room however as soon as we went back there the doctors we that we met uh the two that were going to be performing the mri and then we also met the anesthesiologist if i'm pronouncing that correctly or enunciating that correctly uh, he was super super nice pretty much just saying that it was more of like a sleep, like uh, like putting her to a, not a deep sleep, like a light sleep uh, was what he described it. And it was like a face mask thing that kind of just hovered over. It wasn't like put on 100% of the way, just lo- just enough to provide her with uh, like a comfortable sleep. And then the procedure took a couple hours 
And then right away we were able to go back and be with her while she woke up. So that went completely smooth. Um, the recovery period or sort of the, the period of observation was 24 hours. So my wife, you know, she already had the guest room set up. She slept with our daughter and kept an eye on her. And we had to be extra careful in telling our son that, hey, you know, this is not a day to be rough with your sister. So please, you know, you're going to have to really work on being being a little bit more kind, a little bit more gentle. And for the most part, he kind of was. But, I mean, he's still, he got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, that's to be that's to be expected from from older siblings or just siblings in general. Um, but he showed a sign of of like a different sign of caring while she was back there. Like he knew we were in the waiting room and he saw my wife, his mother, uh, feeling like kind of just nervous or quiet. Like the tone was different in our in our mannerisms. And though I tried to keep him as engaged as possible or engaged as much as possible, um, he still, I'm, I'm sure, sensed that uh, something was happening. And so periodically through our time in the waiting room, he would look up and say, I want my sister. Where's, where's my sister? Uh, you know, when's she coming? And I would have to reassure him that, you know, we have to wait for the doctor. You know, she's getting... Um, an MRI. And he doesn't understand what an MRI is at this time, but you know, just trying to reassure him things are okay, and we just have to wait for the doctors. And if he's really, if he's really patient and looks toward the door, uh, he'll see the doctors as they come out. So that's pretty much how it went. And then the long waiting period, which really was like two days, I want to say, or maybe a day and a half. No, I think two days, uh, the long period of having to wait for the results because they didn't give them to us the same day. We thought like maybe they would they would just be able to tell right away what's going on. But um, I was at work at the time and my wife, she was driving or no, she was she had walked to pick up our son from daycare or not daycare, but pre-K. And. She was making the walk back home. It's like about a mile walk. And she gets a phone call from the doctor. And she's thinking to herself, I cannot hear bad news. I don't wanna I don't wanna be in a position where I'm gonna be crying out on the street. So she waited till she got home to answer that call or call them back. Uh, but fortunately it was all good news. They said that there is no need for surgery and that we just need, though she is a little backed up, so we did need to up the dose of Miralax. Uh, they recommended like an enema and things like that, but they said if we didn't want to do that, uh, the Miralax would just be, would suffice. So we went the Miralax route. Um, and yeah, I she sent me the text as soon as she found out and just a huge wave of relief and a semi flood of emotions. I wasn't breaking down at work or anything like that. However, I felt extremely grateful that here our little one would not have to go through a surgery because if in fact they find that there is 
a spinal tethering or a tethering of the spine, uh, the next step would be to schedule a, a surgery to pretty much detether the spine from where, wherever it's connected. Now, that would have been our option. I'm not sure for all the other spinal tethering um, scenarios if, if surgery is the option or, or what those look like. Um, but again, it would have been another trip under anesthesia. It would have been another recovery period as well as a potential, like how do you, how do you, how does a child, a toddler recover from a surgery like that if they can't walk right away or they can't roll and play? And we have, they have an older sibling who's very rough and rowdy. Um, it was just, we were very fortunate that we didn't have to go that route. So I think that had we, we would have crossed that, that bridge when we got there and we would have handled things accordingly. But at this time, it's, it's just relief. So that's kind of what, what's been going on. I, I talked about this on another podcast that I never released because it was sort of just before knowing what was going on. And I didn't want to have to, I shared the information and where we were and where we were at with things, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to just like leave it at that. I wanted to, I, I guess I felt I wanted to share a story that had had a conclusion to it. So that's why I'm doing it again with this one. So that's all I've got for you guys today, though. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to listen to these. And as always, till next time, see ya.